everyone, and welcome to Dungeons and Diapers. I'm your host, Ryan, this week, and joining me, as always, is Crofton. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going actually okay. And I mean, I mean that in the most literal way you can mean okay. Not too good, not too bad. Uh, I injured myself a couple of days ago, and I will talk about that a little later, but uh, I'm feeling better. So, but not a hundred percent like achy and sore and beat up. So that sucks. But meanwhile, there's been like great stuff that's happened to me. Like for instance, today, um, it snowed big time here, like huge snowstorm. And, uh, like, as I said, I was injured, so I couldn't shovel. So Mm. I felt really guilty. I felt really guilty watching my wife shovel. Um, even though I have shoveled pretty much everything thus far so you know i guess it was she was due but the our biggest pro our biggest problem seems dangerous <laughs> dangerous it's like she doesn't listen um our biggest problem is that uh is not the shoveling the laneway if we're quick on it it's not too bad even though we have a fairly long laneway for a city um but the the bigger problem is the uh when the snow plow goes by and it builds up that bank in front of your house for some reason that bank is huge at our house like and it freezes quickly one time it became a bank of ice and i had to take a crowbar to it which was really not a great time um but it's always a, it's always a huge pain and uh my wife had mostly shoveled but then that bank like the truck came by and there's a huge bank and her hip was hurting. We're a bunch of oldies. She's like, oh, no, I don't want to go up. I'm like, I'm still hurt. And and we didn't even ask for this. But then out of the wilderness came our neighbor with a snowblower. And he just went to, to like four houses around his house and just pl- cleared out all the banks. Like all those. He just did it like for no reason other than being a nice person. And I And he didn't know I was injured. But he was like a holy savior of the kindness of of strangers so does it suck that i'm hurt yes is it awesome that my neighbor is a nice guy yes also yes uh so when you put it all together i'm okay very good well you know what there's a thing about snowblowers and i never really understood it until i i got one so we did pick one up I, like I'd say to Ashley, like after shoveling, like, man, we really should get a snowblower. It's like, oh, they're expensive and finicky. And are they really worth it? How many times do you shovel? And uh, that's always the year that you shovel <laughs> yeah. every other day. Yeah. Um, but I know. Uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, like we finally got one. There was a big storm coming and Ashley's like, go, go buy one. You know, it was, it was and nothing, you know, too crazy. It was like probably one of the, the, the lower end models of the 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 nicer brands, you know, because you don't want to buy something that's that's going to conk out, but you want something that's, you know, not too expensive. Like you can buy some real big uh, snowblowers, but uh, we got a, a small, decent one. And, and I think there is this like, as long as it's not like crazy storming outside or the snow isn't like super high, there's something about having that snowblower that's like, it's kind of, it's kind of fun in a way. And, and it also does feel nice to, to help your neighbors there. There was the last snowstorm. I was out snowblowing at like nine at night and the neighbor was having trouble with his snowblower. So I, I went across the, the road and helped him, you know, you know, complete the driveway. So like it, you know, there's something about it and you know, you have this like snowblower, you feel a little guilty that you, you have one and you can, you know, throw your snow and, and go back inside and not, 
you know, wreck your back. Although snowblowers are, they have their own, they're, they're, they have their own beast uh, problems, but uh, yeah. Was no. this, was, was this the playgirl neighbor? Uh, no. No? No, that's a callback. No, this was the neighbor across the road, uh, a different neighbor. Not, as far as I know, not, not in play. Not, girl. not in play girl. Oh, well, they can't all be. No. Um, uh, well, so Ryan, we're doing a little something different this week. Is that so? Yes. So, uh, this week Crofton guested on the gamers in, and as we sometimes do, uh, we have a, a segment of video game talk that we're going to be including in this here episode. Yeah. So, anyways, well, let's let's talk about it. Let's uh, let's talk about Hi-Fi Rush. Your very first impressions because you played it alongside many other folks yesterday when it launched um, on Game Pass for for all. Uh, what did you think about this um, rhythm action game? So yeah, I downloaded uh, Hi-Fi Rush last night. I didn't have a ton of time with it. But uh, I'll, I'll be honest, Ryan, as soon as they showed it, I was like, that sort of thing on the surface is my jam. Like, it's a Jet Set Radio looking kind of colorful world. Looks like it's got a cool combat system. Doesn't take itself too seriously. Sunset Overdrive-ish. Like, there's a, there's a lot a lot of it that right off I'm like, oh, this looks great. And, and normally when they shadow drop, to use a term I just learned about a few minutes ago, when they shadow drop something, I don't normally care about it that much. But in this case, it was like, wow, this is an amazing surprise. It seems to be so far. Uh, have you have you yet tried it? I have not had a chance to play it, although I did have a chance to download it and see it on the Xbox dashboard. But um, my impression oh. uh, for uh, the game, uh, at least when it was announced, is it just... it. And from the clips I've seen is that it marries uh, sort of animation style, 2D animation with 3D animation and these like very interesting and seamless transitions. Looks and amazing. I know. I mean, I just I'm looking at I'm looking at the trailer and I'm I'm not I'm going to play this just for the animation style and, and the voice acting. Like on the 4K, whatever Xbox Series X looking on the screen, I, it just. And it has like a kind of a step out moment fairly early. You know, those moments in those games, notably Bethesda games, where you step into a larger world. Well, it does that, except it's like this colorful pop art and it just blows into your eyes and you're like, wow, this is amazing. But from the very first scene where the main character is like sort of, (laughs) it's all played very tongue in cheek, getting this, you know, pass to have surgery done. and uh, it's all very like there's music pumping. It's uh, Lonely Boy from the Black Keys, which is a song I like. Starts right right into that um, and then flows right into the game. Throws the tutorials at you really fast, really fun. The big problem, Ryan, that I already have with this game and that I'm worried about is that, Ryan, you may not know this, and this may surprise you, but as a uh, a white man in his mid-40s, I have – Little to no rhythm, um, very little rhythm or sense of rhythm. 
And uh, and yeah, a game that relies on rhythm. Like if they stay true to what they said in the video about like, oh yeah, it's nice, it's good to have you get boosts and all that. But if I actually need to hit the beat properly to defeat enemies, I'm worried, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was also uh, so another sort of action rhythm game that I think was way more dependent on having rhythm was uh, metal metal slinger or metal singer it was on game pass as well and it was a more like heavy metal uh inspired game uh you were it was like doom mixed with like an action rhythm game and i was terrible at it um but from what i've seen with the trailers for hi-fi rushes it's not as like dependent on the the rhythm like you're not doing it for every single thing is that accurate or is it just it kind of looked to be like in hi-fi rush it was more like oh, you need to do a special move or get a combo going. Here comes some rhythm. Um, it's kind of hard to tell, but it, it kind of looked like it was less dependent than that uh, metal slinger. What is it called? Well, I That's can't right. speak to that other game, but I, I can tell you that the beat, the beat is always there. And you get this little robot buddy who kind of visually indicates the beat and you can even have sort of a beat indicator be placed at the bottom. And I honestly, I think I didn't want to do that because it obstructs some of your beautiful visuals, but I think I am going to have to do it because, um, you know, I am a more visual person and seeing exactly where to hit the beats. Cause if you hit a few in a row, uh, then you can do like a power hit. And, um, you know, I, I think there'll be areas in the game where power hits will be necessary. Maybe, certain boss fights i'm not quite sure um it seems very very easy so far like you can totally mess the rhythm every fight it's one of those ones like bayonetta where you get in a battle and every fight is scored and for those of you who haven't been paying attention we've jumped just right in the details of this game uh it was presented at the xbox showcase it's like a, a cel-shaded sort of cartoon as ryan explained it it's about a kid who gets the power of music kind of installed in the inside of him. It's like a science fiction a story in a fantastical world. And you're fighting these robots with essentially what looks like kind of a musical metal guitar. And um, you're, you have to time your attacks to the beat. So that's what differentiates it from a lot of these sort of fighting exploration games, you know, and if everything happens in the world to the beat, like if there's crushers, that you got to jump through. They're crushing to the beat, you know, like everything is, is attached to the beat and it's a really neat conceit. Um, and uh, like, I'm curious to see how it unfolds. Cause like, I'm just like, I just passed the very first tutorials. So I feel like this is one of those things they'll build on as it goes and then they'll add new things or whatever. And I'm worried that the musical, the musicality of it for people who are rhythm challenged like myself, it's going to be uh, tough. But I also think that they will have found some way to account for that. Um, and I just want to say one last thing before we move on from, from uh, Hi-Fi Rush, or um, is it, uh, Ryan, one thing I've noticed over the past couple of years, and this is just a me thing, I know it's not an everybody thing, is that the games that I'm the most hyped about, or that... That, like I'm following the development and the trailers, like they come out and and often I only have two ways to go. I'm satisfied or I'm unsatisfied, but I can never be pleasantly satisfied. Like I can, if I'm hyped for it and then I sit down and it's good, I, I can never be like, oh, wow, this is so good because I expected it kind of to be good. So it really only has one way to go, which is down. 
And so the games that I have enjoyed the most over the past couple of years have been games that I totally did not either know about before, like Hades, when that came out, and I know it was in early access, but I didn't play it or pay any attention to it. Then it came out, I played it and I loved it. It was like my game of the year. And I didn't follow it. I wasn't like I it had I had no expectations. And last year, and I last year, I know tons of people were excited about Elden Ring and were following it really closely. I was not one of them. I did not really care about Souls likes or anything like that. And then when it came out and it did so well and it appealed to me, it was kind of like a really nice surprise. Uh, and and therefore, you know, at the end of the year, I'm like, wow, that was my game of the year. So this year, I'm not saying Hi-Fi Rush is in that that company but it's it's those these are the games that i love the most these days games that i don't even see coming i don't place artificial expectations on they just are awesome you know and so hopefully uh the game continues to be great strong start but yeah i'm like the fact that they shadow dropped a game that is seemingly this big by such a big studio that looks so awesome i mean ballsy move microsoft yeah yeah and honestly when it got announced i I thought like, whoa, could this be a Sunset Overdrive sort of like sequel follow up type thing? Because it really does have that feel. And it's actually uh, from uh, Tango Works, the the folks behind Evil Within and last year's uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, which still has not arrived uh, on Xbox. So <laughs> Hi-Fi Rush has kind of uh, lapped its uh, previous uh, title that uh, from that studio. Um but yeah, it's uh, it it looks like a lot of fun. I'm going to dive into it for uh, next week for sure. I just because it literally came out last night uh, as of this recording, and it's also like a really good combination for for Game Pass. I think like Game Pass is one of those subscriptions, like all subscriptions, that really benefit from that. What's what's coming out next? Like what's on the horizon? You know, uh, I can't wait for Microsoft to drop the list of upcoming games and. I think whenever there is like a Microsoft announcement, they do lean heavily into the availability on Game Pass. And, you know, while that is great, it's also really awesome to have this like this is coming out later today. And yes, it's on Game Pass and you'll be able to enjoy it with next to no barriers. If you're already subscribed, you just go ahead, download it. It's yours to play uh, at your leisure. And I think that's such a great you know, use of their, of their service that they have set up. I mean, it's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of one, like in, from the video game perspective, like there's, there's really nothing else like it, um, you know, out there in terms of just the expectations that are surrounding game pass. Um, cause we knew every game that was going to be in that Microsoft, uh, announcement was going to be coming to game pass. Cause it was specifically focused on first party developers, but the fact that Hi-Fi Rush was out like an hour after the presentation, I was a pretty, as you said, a pretty ballsy move. And and honestly, I think uh, Microsoft needed to do something because um, they did not have uh, a first-party release outside of um, uh, penul- penultimate pen pentiment, not pentiment, pentiment, pentiment. <laughs> Not Peppermint. Uh, that was the one. That was the only one that Microsoft had first party last year, uh, and and uh, you know, well received, except for the third act, from what I've heard from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's nice that uh, Microsoft is starting in January and not waiting until November. 
it just year. is kind of strange Jake, when you think about it like how close to the finish line were they on hi-fi rush and like could they have gotten it you know when you say it like that it just seems mind-boggling that they decided to shadow drop this instead of you know talking about it all year then releasing it maybe in december or whatever you know it just they it, i don't know like I, I'm not saying one is better than the other. It is just interesting that this is the avenue that they they went through. I will say that it. I think I think, and I don't even know this for true, but I think it garners them more goodwill with me. It definitely makes me. Um, I may have, you know, not lost it in Game Pass. You know, Game Pass will be like, "What's new on Game Pass?" And they'll be they'll put up stuff every week. And if you're paying attention, you'll be like, "Oh, this is up." And sometimes it's a day one indie or something on Game Pass. Or and and if this had just gone up with a batch of other things, I might not have clued in. But by Microsoft giving it that giant platform, uh, it then it then was like, "Oh, I should check this out. This is a big one," you know. Um, and uh, and it so far seems to be. Uh, but yeah, keen to keen to hear what you think next week, and uh, I'm keen to to hear what I think next week because I um, I just started into it, and it's got all the makings of a game that uh, I would like. It starts strong. Let's see, let's see how how it does. But for me, Ryan, like, and I know we're going to talk about the rest of the conference. That was the highlight of the conference. Like when you have an actual game that's being announced that turns out to be awesome. Uh, that's to my liking. Uh, I mean, you can't do much better than that in a conference yeah yep top marks top marks uh well the next game we're going to talk about is uh fire emblem engage and honestly this was going to surprise nobody at home that uh, ryan is playing a fire emblem game uh the week it comes out and this is the latest entry main entry in the franchise uh fire emblem engage and um crofton i know you played three houses uh, so this conversation is probably going to be focused on uh, early impressions of Engage because I'm not very far um, about Chapter 7. Um, it's just been... That sounds far. It does, doesn't it? But uh, honestly, when it comes to these games, I feel like that's that's not too far. I mean, you think of Three Houses. It was a fairly large game uh, by Fire Emblem definitions. I mean, three and a half paths two parts to each path like uh, there was a lot yeah in that game each chapter is a battle right yes pretty much yeah okay um so so i'll start with some questions because i try to re i I try to replay a fire emblem three houses recently uh i was looking for like a portable switch game and all this i ended up buying uh xenoblade chronicles 3 after quitting uh three houses um i had played it before i was trying to play a different campaign and what really, what I enjoyed so much the first time playing Three Houses, the running around the monastery and having tea with all my new BFFs, as well as the Fire Emblem battle system, which is always good. And like, you know, they it was probably as good as it's ever been at Three Houses at that time. Uh, but then on a replay, I was like, man, I am sick already of running around this annoying monastery. <laughs> it's so it's so big. There's people already. I, and I want to talk to them all. They have little things saying if you haven't spoken to them. I'm like, oh, between every chapter, I got to speak to all of them. Uh, and so I was, you know, I dropped I, the second playthrough. I was like, I'm not going to play this again. I don't have the patience to play through all of this. I like the battles. I like the story surrounding the battles. I don't like all the monastery stuff anymore like it didn't survive for me for a second playthrough fire emblem engage 
from what I can tell, maybe less of that stuff. Very much so. Yeah, there's... um. So to boil it right down, Fire Emblem Engage, um, in terms of the reviews, the reviews are not wrong in, in pointing out that the best gameplay Fire Emblem has ever had in terms of the combat and the tactical, uh, you know, stuff that's in, in the games, um, best, best that you've had in the franchise. Uh, that being said, like, there's very minimal required stuff between those battles there is an area called the somniel which is like this floating castle area where you can uh engage with uh your 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 bffs as as crofton put it um and and do various activities like training and you know um uh, there's literally like a, you can polish your rings so the idea is you have these rings uh that summon characters from other fire emblem games and i mean there is stuff you can do in between the battles, but that it's far more optional than it was in three houses. Uh, three houses felt like the stuff in between while I enjoyed it on my first playthrough, I like you really struggled um, and only ended up playing through uh, twice over the course of three years. Uh, and the second time I played through was, was for a, was for a game club I did on summoners call. So like, I had to be, <laughs> I wouldn't say dragged back into the game, but um, I, I needed an excuse to to jump back in because honestly, to go through the monastery stuff again with the teaching and, and all that, uh, you know, metagame, there's far less metagame in this one. And if you want to go into the metagame and, you know, uh, check in with your, your uh, <laughs> like you get, you find this like pet, so there's this like pet in the Somniel. So you can you can feed it, you can pet it, you can get like what's called like bond fragments that is like a material you can use to 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 summon more rings. There's like a whole bunch of stuff you can do in the Somniel. But like if you're playing on like myself, normal, casual, or even normal classic, where the only difference is when a character dies, they're gone for good. You know? That's the difference between casual and classic. But like if you're playing it on normal, you don't need to worry about min-maxing every little thing in the Somniel. You can just kind of do what you find interesting. Let's say you do want like a, a buff for the next battle. Just like Three Houses, there is like a cooking thing you can engage in and, and uh, you know, pick a couple characters. It builds support between them and you get a, a buff depending on what meal you make. Um it, it's small, it's minimal stuff, but like it does offer like that bonus of like building support between your characters, which unlocks more story and, and unlocks, you know, perks on the battlefield. Uh, but not as um, involving as three houses where you are, you're going through the teaching stuff. You're, you're talking to every character. Um, there's far less like side dialogue in this one where, in the Somniel, you like you can see on the map that they're all all your friends are there and you can go talk to them, but their lines, unless they have like a little, you know, um speech bubble above their head, uh, they don't have anything new to say. Or any and even when they do have something new to say, it's kinda like, hey, we should go back and we should get ready for the next battle. Like it's very it's not like it's not like three houses where you had to sit there and listen to every character talk because they had scripted something unique to that chapter that would shed more light on their character or what's going on or the history like this feel like the story feels like a much more 
simpler, more traditional Fire Emblem story where there is, uh, there's an evil dragon. A thousand years ago, you vanquished it. You sleep for a thousand years. Hey, guess what? The dragon's back, Crofton, and you have to fight it. And it's bad. And you're good. So sweet that's that's the that look i'm boiling the story way down and i i'm not very far but like that's how it begins is basically you there's a bad dragon you're a good dragon um there are various continents that are friends and foes um there are 12 rings to to rule them all but so. but getting back to your polishing the rings yeah. uh yeah and like i and how much you like to ring polish i was just thinking about um the you know the it seems to me the sales the sales thing for this game is that all the these retro fire emblem characters right like and so uh to get them to all fit in the same space you kind of need i don't want to say a bland framework but you need like you need a framework that is very clear cut like there's a big evo we need to all come together cuz otherwise the alternative is to really get complicated and have all these characters come in through the, you know, and or, or cameo and, and for their personality to ring true. Most of them are because they're the heroes of the respective games. Most of them are probably earnest forthright individuals, but like to get them all on the same page, you need something kind of, I don't know, pretty, pretty. I, I, I'm stuck on bland, but you no. know what I mean? Uh, that's a re- that I had not really thought about that. And I think you make a very valid point in that, like, of course it really feels like if you look at the marketing, it really feels like the, the main draw of this game is that you have brought back. Um, and this is, this has never been done for a mainline fire emblem game. Um, there has been some side, you know, games like they did a warriors game where they brought back a bunch of characters. Obviously there's fire emblem heroes where, which is totally focused on, on every single character that ever existed in Fire Emblem. But this is like a focused, you know, picking and choosing of characters from every Fire Emblem game, including the ones that have not released here in North America. And you're right, like to have um, a very straightforward, focused um, story that helps you bring in like all these other characters. Because the idea is is that the the emblems which reside in these rings and, and the reason I don't know well I guess you would know why the rings are getting getting dirty because you're you're bringing them into battle and you know battles can be messy so like uh the, again and this goes back to the whole optional part like you can go in there and you can polish the rings and that gives you bonuses to you know your bond with that character you literally even choose uh the character you want to to polish the rings Um, And that builds, you know, bond between that character and and the emblem. But you're right. Like in terms of the story, you need something very, you need that framework that, that doesn't distract you from the fact that this is a fun celebration of a franchise that's been around for over 30 years. Um, And also they don't like, they don't like knock it over your head in the sense that, you know, like you need to know everything about this character for their introduction to be, to make sense. You know, they don't say like, oh, this is. Lucina from Fire Emblem Awakening, which is related to Marth's game from a thousand years before. Like they don't go into that detail. They just say that's the you know um, what do they say? They say the emblem of the the princess exalt. And like for a fan of the franchise, you know exactly what that means. But for someone who maybe hadn't played Awakening, it's like that looks like the character 
from a previous Fire Emblem game, and that sounds like a Fire Emblem title, and it all just works. You know, it's not expecting you to know every little thing, and I think that's what makes, you know, the best part of the game even better is the gameplay. Because they really use those emblems to mix things up, where you pair those emblems with characters that will give them buffs and additional abilities, but also you can choose to engage with those emblems during battle, and you basically turn into a super unit for like three turns, where you can do, you have like one special move, and you have an additional, you have access to an additional weapon that you wouldn't normally have access to with your your class, and uh, it just, it it takes the strategy and kind of like, really mixes things up. And they've added a couple other things to the gameplay to make things snappier. Um, like you can you could do weapon breaks. So you know the weapon triangle, Crofton. If you've played thre- uh, Three Houses, you obviously have experienced the wonder of rock, paper, scissors in the yes. Fire Emblem yeah. games. Um, yep. So if you, you know, take a sword into an axe battle, you're going to break the enemy's uh, weapon or stance. And essentially, if you use a sword against an axe... They'll drop the axe and you get you get a guaranteed double hit. And then for the rest of that turn, their axe is on the floor and all your allies can come in and, and fight that character without having to worry about them fighting back because they've dropped their weapon. So that's a new move there with the with the breaking of stances. Um and they've added a couple others too that I'm that I'm still discovering. I think I just discovered they so I just got introduced to the smash ability. So certain characters and certain weapons, um, what they'll do is they they don't get to attack first, but when they do attack, you'll knock the character back a space. So it kind of gives you opportunity to maybe push enemies off of um, terrain that is that is at uh, uh, gives them an advantage, or off a fort which can help heal them. So like they've really changed up the gameplay, and I think that's where you see engage getting a really strong um reaction to the gameplay and some saying like myself i think this is the, this is the best gameplay we've had in a fire emblem game the story not so much some of the characters like i know crofton you struggle with you know the the silliness sometimes of uh like three houses was very serious um for the most part i think it, I, I feel like it was a very serious game do you agree uh uh mm. <laughs> It was more serious than than engage is kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. Okay, yeah, no, I I would just say it's it is tough for these uh, you know Japanese anime RPG style where there you know the, there's some very exaggerated characters that are super goofy, and I'm just like thinking about all these these scenarios <laughs> of like uh, you know cooking in the cafeteria with the ponytail girl being so excited, and then I'm just like there, it's but I. At the same time, yes, it was a tale of sort of war, despondent war, uh, and so so yeah, I would I would say that like looking when I compare it to something like I don't know, maybe Persona or something like that, it's it's definitely more so I guess somber. Yeah, like I think Three Houses took itself very seriously, and I think that's where Engage is. It doesn't. I don't think it takes itself as serious. The story doesn't take itself as seriously. Like, there's a lot of over the top characters. Like everybody's kind of over the top. Everybody's happy to be there. Um, you have your traditional, you know, Fire Emblem characters, like the really excited character, and then the really somber character, really quiet character. Uh, like 
all of those, you know, Fire Emblem tropes are back, but I think they've, uh, they've really ratcheted them up. Um, so if you found certain characters in three houses, like certain archetypes to be annoying, if that archetype comes back and engage or is there, it's probably going to drive you to, to never choose that character out on your adventures. Uh, but that's where the benefit is that there's so many characters in this game. Um, that was another thing I figured like, because there was going to be 12 emblems and they were going to bring more focus to these previous games. I thought, well, maybe the cast of, you know, original characters would be you know, smaller. And I know this was a point that came up in discord a couple times and, and no, like they are introducing like fire emblem previously, like one to three characters, every chapter that you're recruiting. So there's lots, lots of options to choose from. And, and, um, but yeah, like I said, the story is, um, it, it's not as serious, but as you said, it's, it's, it's nice. Cause it, it helps you not worry too much about there being like 12 random characters from other games. Those feel like they fit within the story that they're telling. So that's not jarring. And I, I was worried it would be, but like they've really improved upon two things, two problems I had with three houses. Like some, like the gameplay was what it was. It was, it was fire emblem. It was good, but like they've found a way to improve upon it, which was surprising uh, because it was already really good. And also something we haven't talked about is the, the graphics, like, you know, three houses was kind of, we use the the descriptor of bland for for engages story, which you know to kind of describe who we were trying to think of. But the graphics in Three Houses were were pretty bland, you know, like it was very basic medieval architecture. Yeah, they wanted it to be muddy a little bit. Yeah, uh, it was still like very anime, but also like kind of they, you know, less colorful than than maybe you would expect from other, um, uh, you know, from from a game like this. Yeah, but Engage is very colorful. It's beautiful, uh, you know, in the in the way they've crafted, you know, both the characters and the backgrounds. Um, and there's this one piece I keep going back to with Three Houses that in some of the dioramas where the characters are talking, you could literally see the seams in which they had like sort of bent the background to go from the floor to the wall. And sometimes you'd... Yeah, I, um, as uh, uh, Eddie and Discord was saying, like you could see sometimes the way the tables would would kind of bend in weird places. Like it just it it um, they did what they what they could, and obviously the focus was on the story and the characters talking. But the backgrounds could be distracting. But honestly, I have not noticed any of that in Engage. You know, they've really put a lot of work into building these backgrounds and these dioramas where the characters are talking, and and it it's not distracting. It looks amazing. Um, and I would even say like they they feel so confident in in the way you know the maps look because you know at the end of every combat it zooms right down where you can walk around as your character and you can again you can talk to all your characters you can you know uh, find items on the ground again you don't have to spend a lot of time there you can just talk to the people who have something important to say and move on it's usually one or two or usually just the new characters but it all looks great. You know, whether you're looking at it top down or you're right down there walking around in third person and you're kind of looking around or or, or in combat, too. So, yeah, like I think like gameplay is really great. The graphics are amazing. And, you know, as long as you go in, don't expect like three houses, at least early off the bat in terms of story. Uh, again, maybe once I get further, I'll have I'll have uh, something different to say about the story. But like it, it, it does its job to allow us to revisit these characters that we normally wouldn't see in another Fire Emblem game because like 
it's usually one and done with these characters. And um, sometimes uh, not even that if you're bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because uh, they die. Yes, of course. Like they die. They give a big speech and. and because uh, it's permadeath, Ryan. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's permadeath. I'm not playing with permadeath, you know, and honestly, it came down to the fact that I just feel like I don't have time to redo maps when one of my favorite characters died. Yeah, no no kidding. I'm like, I, no offense. I'm so beyond permadeath now. Like I'm just, just forget it. Any yeah. game with permadeath, I'm like, there's a switch to turn it off. It's off. I yeah. don't care. Even though there is the ability like in three houses to turn back time. And if you're playing on normal, there's, you can do an unlimited amount of times. Uh, although it is limited if you're playing on hard or, uh, or maddening. We, we have a, we have a, a channel in the discord for fire emblem and the folks in there have a played way more than I have and B just have a, you know, a vast knowledge of, of these characters and systems. So, um, you know, shout out to them to, to, to keep me in the loop on Fire Emblem Engage, but uh, I'm slowly making my way through it, and uh, I have only um, retrieved uh, four emblems, so I've got eight more to go. Probably lots of, lots of game left to enjoy, so I'll be playing this one for a while. Crofton, um, what do you got here? What's, what is the excavation of Hobbs Barrow? Did you pick up landscaping? Is this what you're doing? No, have you like, have you legit not heard about this game? I have not heard. I mean, I might have. I I think the last time I heard about it was when you tweeted that you bought it or something. I can't okay. remember because it it came out on Switch uh, this week uh, and is getting reviews on Switch Did right it? now. Uh, but uh, it it is a PC game and I'm playing it on Steam Deck. Uh, I'm actually playing this game with my wife, which is really fun. Um, and uh, there's a, a lot of reasons why this is a good game to play together but the excavation of Hobbs Barrow is an adventure game point and click in the classic style of the Sierra and LucasArts games uh, and it's made by this company Wadjet uh, uh, iGames which has made all pretty much all of the, the new wave of, of classic pixel art um, point and clicks uh, of which there are uh, many from Gemini Rue uh, to the Blackwell series, to uh, Unavowed, which is one of my favorites as well. So the excavation of Hobbs Barrow is the latest, and it, it takes place um, in the sort of late 1800s, I think, in, in uh, England. And you play as this uh, lady named Thomasina Bateman, who is uh, excavating barrows, which are like burial sites uh, for antiquities. And she's not married, which is scandalous at the time. Uh, and uh, there's a lot sort of going on with her, but it's one of those stories where she's dropped off at, on a tr by a train early on in a town, and we've seen this in movies and books, probably video games as well, where things are not what they seem, you know, like you go in and everybody's saying stuff, but there's like a secret in the town, and you, you know that like, there is something hidden that you're going to need to figure out. It's also like, so it's all in pixel art. Uh, it's very nice pixel art, but it's done in a kind of foreboding style. And and my wife, who's like playing a lot of pixel art right now, she plays Stardew Valley with Gwen and then my daughter. And then 
turns over to play this this game with me is sort of like this isn't as nice looking as stardew valley it is in fact much more detailed pixel art than stardew valley it's just that it is much more depressing it's supposed to be like a cold and desolate sort of place a little bit it's supposed to be foreboding it's raining all the time all of that sort of stuff the voice acting is amazing um all the characters the town characters are, are great uh it really uh, reminds me of the very first Gabriel Knight game, except in a different setting. In that game, it was really funny because Gabriel would walk to person to person and he, he would be able to interrogate them and, and you would get a list of things and you could always ask them about voodoo because it was like the voodoo murders in that game. And Tim Curry, who was the voice actor, the way that he would he would deliver the line, he'd be like, tell me about voodoo was, was always... Uh, was always good for a laugh for me, especially to random people. Like, you know, it's like some traffic cop. You're like, what do you know about voodoo? Well, um, Thomasina has has that as well because she's always asking about Hobbs Barrow. Nobody wants to tell her where it is or knows where it is. And she's always asking about the guy who sent her a letter inviting her to this town, this guy named Leonard Shoulder. Do you know a Mr. Leonard Shoulder? And you can ask everybody, kids, adults, all of this. <laughs> so it's a slow burn at the beginning is what I'm saying. Like you're going around this town. Everything is mysterious. People are giving you the runaround. There's typical adventure game puzzles. Um, it's it's branded a folk horror game, and there are definitely spooky bits. It feels spooky in the way Silent Hill feels spooky, not in the way, not like necessarily jump scares. Although there was one that got has already gotten my wife to uh, scream, which was pretty funny. Uh, but but I will I will say it. Um, the the meat and potatoes of the game has not, and that's a British joke, has not really started yet. Uh, like I'm on day two, I, you know, I've just found Hobbs Barrow. I'm trying to get permission to excavate it. I know it doesn't sound very glamorous, but for people who like story-based adventure games with rich characters, I mean, it seems like a good one. And I feel like when it gets going, just like a good book, like when it gets really going uh, and things are already starting to pick up, I feel like I'm going to be coming back and be like, wow, that game is so good. The reviews seem to say, that it is a pretty good um, traditional point-and-click adventure game. And, uh, yeah, I've, I'm really enjoying it so far. And what's great is, is, like, about these adventure games is because, you know, there's not a bunch of movement. My wife, when she watches me play games uh, that are in the first-person perspective or even that flash a lot, she gets motion sick very easily. Um, she doesn't like that stuff. But – Hobbs Barrow is like, you know, you're going from one screen to the next, one environment to the next. You're talking to characters. You're selecting choices. You're picking up items and using them for inventory-based puzzles. It all goes together quite nicely in the way that those old Sierra LucasArts games do. So, yeah, I it's good. Like, it's a good game. Uh, I, I have a huge soft spot for this type of game. This is the type of game that got me into video games. It was the type that had good stories before good stories were a thing in games. But uh, it hasn't got its hooks in me totally yet. So I, I'm not really ready to unabashedly say, Ryan, oh, you should play it. Because right now where I'm at, I think it's too dry for somebody that didn't grow up with these type of games, even though the voice acting is like top notch. Yeah, I uh, I really miss um, these type of games when when I was younger. I mean, like I jumped in right around the NES slash Super NES era. I missed a lot of like the point and click um, early PC games. We never really had a 
But see, yeah. in that era, SNES, like if you went to PC, the uh, PC always had more advanced, you know, graphics, right? Like Gabriel Knight came out, I think, in 1993. Right. And at that point, like, you know, to, deep into the Super Nintendo's or into the Super Nintendo's mid Super Nintendo life cycle. And if you compare like the graphics of Gabriel Knight in terms of pixel art detail and all that to what's being done on the Super Nintendo, it was obviously more impressive pixel art and these this Hobbs Barrow like if it had been released at that time would be like an amazing looking game but released in 2022 like it's funny because like you have to almost adjust your eyes as like it switches resolutions to this and everybody's talking about like you know 4k 60 frames all of this sort of stuff this is like going to really big blocky pixels but it harnesses your imagination and does does the job uh, well enough. the The thing is, is that it it is trying for a certain foreboding. Uh, I find pixel art tends to work better to, for cheerful, and uh, it, it they've nailed it. It is foreboding, but it's just like I almost feel like I would have liked it to have been sharper art for for that. For what they're the story they're trying to tell, I would like to see Thomasina's facial muscles react to some of the things that she's seeing or the lies people are telling her. You know, so it is it. I I, I get that it's probably a tradition thing to do pixel art. It's probably also easier, uh, less cost, and less expensive. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But uh, I, I kind of wish that this one, even though I like most of them being pixel art, it feels like this one might have benefited from not being pixel art. Anyway. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, there you go. Uh, the excavation of Hobbs Barrow on Steam runs on Steam Deck, and you said it just launched on Switch, right? Yeah, just this week it launched on Switch. And I think it's getting pretty good reviews. One thing I'd be curious about the Switch version, I again, I'm playing it on Steam Deck, but uh, it's really... I mean, PC controls, it's a point and click. So you're moving a, you're moving a pointer and I'm moving it with the controller. It's fine, whatever. Uh, and you know, you're clicking where you want her to go. You move up the pointer up to the top of the screen to get your inventory, just like you did in those older games. But I feel like for the switch audience that maybe they need to refine that a little bit better. So I'm curious if they made changes there because it, it does control like a PC game it, in the version I'm playing at least. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, we have one final game here before we get to the news. And uh, if befittingly, it's an arcane uh, Bethesda Microsoft game, uh, Deathloop. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Deathloop. I talked about it on our other show, Dungeons and Diapers. Uh, I had just gotten into it then. It makes a really strong first impression. And I just think it's really relevant in terms of the arcane, uh, both Redfall, uh, uh 10 minute video that they showed, but also how they kind of talk about themselves. They embrace their own mythology a little bit as a studio at the end of the video where they have people talking and they're saying like, you know, we, we, the environmental storytelling that we are known for. And it is true. Like this is something that the system shock and Bioshock, all of this, they were known for these handcrafted environments. You walk around, you find these items. They tell a story, audio logs, papers, everything. And um, and uh, I know when Deathloop came out, a lot of the, the marketing was about how there's multiplayer. And it was sort of confusing. Like, would, would the other player be – would that interfere with you, like, taking in the world and all of that? Now I understand it a lot better having played it, and it totally doesn't. And you can easily switch that mode off. But it – it has made me realize that I'm a bit of an arcane fanboy. 
and uh, I am now much more excited for Redfall than I was previously because I recognized, no, wait, I like the types of games these guys make or, and, and girls. And it feels like Deathloop in particular was them saying, and I know it's Arcane Leon, it's not always the same studio, but it, it's the same core company, it was like them saying, hey, we've done this, like Dishonored, Prey, all this stuff. We, we, we've mastered it and now we're going to take what we've learned and like remix it. And, and Deathloop, which has you reliving the same day over and over, um, is a kind of clever version of that. And I have to say, it starts really strong. I really liked it. I don't know if I'll be able to stick with it to the end. Um, I've, I've, you know, I'm already like I've, I've, after the first two hours of tutorial, when you start replaying the day over and over, you're only going to these areas, these same areas. And, uh, and like, it's about getting that perfect loop, which there is an appeal to that. And maybe I will stick with it, but I can feel, I can feel it losing me as I, as I have a bad run. It doesn't have that same bad run feeling as a roguelike does where, where you're like, Oh, I got a little bit better. You know, it, it feels bad. Sometimes you're like, Oh, I got nothing out of that one. Or I lost everything that I had done the time that I invested in it. And so there's, there's some stuff that I don't necessarily like, but I cannot help but be floored by how well designed it is. It is like, it's made by geniuses. And, and when I think about, um, the the dishonor two and that level that gets all the attention the clockwork level where the castle is all on like do you did you play dishonor two ryan i did and i'm trying to remember there's a level um that got was very well celebrated about this sort of clockwork castle where all the rooms move around and things change and you can go behind the walls and all of this it was it's very very well regarded as sort of like a master class in level design and that is very impressive however this whole game, Deathloop, is that in an entire game. They have to take into account like four different areas at different times of day where conditions change, where characters will be in different areas. They have to link them all together. It's just so amazing and impressive. Like I'm floored by it sometimes. I'm like, somebody had to think about like how did they get a whole team to focus on this? So when in the Redfall trailer today or yesterday, they were talking about this is Arcane's biggest world ever, but it's all still handcrafted. I was like, Jesus, this could be insane. You know, it could be really uh really impressive so i realized that i'm a bit of a fanboy for arcane and i have an immense uh, amount of trust and when bethesda was bought by microsoft my first thing was like like i think a lot of everybody's was oh skyrim and the next skyrim and fallout like the, the these are the big brands you associate with bethesda and yes bethesda owned arcane and i always loved arcane games but as the deal is, as the dust is settled in Deathloop last year and or, and now uh, and the year before and, and, and now this Redfall, I just think, man, maybe Arcane was the steal, you know? Um, so it's it, anyway, I'm excited about Redfall more so because I'm revisiting Deathloop. For those of you who haven't tried Deathloop, it's on Game Pass. You can you can download it now. I really suggest the first couple of hours at least. It's really, really fun as you're thrown into this world. The gameplay is good. It's not like, you know, it's it's a first person shooter. You can mantle on things. You can it's very similar. Like Bo and I are playing Borderlands 3 right now. It's very similar to Borderlands 3 in, in many ways on how it feels, except it's completely different in terms of it's a world that you can totally explore and go go crazy in 
in and interact with in different ways. And uh, yeah, anyway, Deadloop, very cool game. Again, despite all the things that I said that I loved about it, I may not see it through because it is uh, the same areas over and over again. It is like kind of solving puzzles. Sometimes I feel like it, sometimes I don't. When I step away, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'm done with that. So definitely it, it you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a home run. It's almost more impressive as, as a concept than it is a game, but still very, very much worth checking out. There you go. Yeah, and uh, another game that I picked up and loved played played a chunk of and then never went uh, never went back to and now it's on game pass i think i even have a steam code from a humble bundle so lots of fun death loop opportunities i will say about death loop is like you make a point because you bought it on ps5 because it was a ps5 exclusive that was the joke right that it was it was during microsoft then bought them and this game was a ps5 exclusive and it took the timed exclusive, it took time for it to come to Xbox. But I, I just, that's what I mean about Arcane being the secret weapon in this deal. Like, um, you know, a lot of a lot of reviews were 10 on 10 for Deathloop. And I understand why you would give it that. And then there were some reviews that were 8 on 10. And I understand why you would give it that as well. So like, and I understand why you, Ryan, would be like, oh, I'm going to start playing this, but I'm not going to necessarily come back to it. I get that too. So I could get why it's somebody's favorite game of all time. If somebody told me that, I'd be like, that makes sense to me. I could also make, it would make sense to me if they, they, they dropped after three hours, you know? So strange like that. Yeah. I, I do want to get back to it uh, yeah, at some point. And, and maybe it would, uh, no, it might, it might not make a good game club. It's, it's, as you said, it's very open-ended and you would need, um, you would need to guide people in a specific, specific way. So everyone's playing, but uh, it could be a good one of like play for a month. And then we all, we all discuss, we've, we've talked about doing like a game club where it's like a, a more traditional book club. Um, so maybe, maybe that one would fit that bill because i don't think it's a super long game it's just an approach it at your own pace slash you know uh, uh well approach it any way you'd like right like well it it's if you like it's a knowledge-based game because the just for those who don't know the idea here is you're stuck in a time loop and you've got to kill these visionaries um to essentially break the loop uh and you were once one of them and there's clearly a story there and you're sort of discovering it more as you go. But the idea is that some of the visionaries are only in certain spots at certain times of the day. And it is just not feasible to kill them all within the same day. So you need to do some things in the world to ensure that one, they're supposed to stay far apart, that some of them would get together. Maybe you find out the two meet in secret at this location at this time of day, and then you're able to take them out. And then maybe you find out that if you do, if you just sabotage some piece of machinery, that will mean that another visionary is at a different place at a different time of day. So you have to, to meet all these conditions to move them around the board so that you can take out more than one of them at the same time to be able to do what is the perfect run. So you gain knowledge each time you do this. You're like, okay, like this guy's here. Every time you get a bit more knowledgeable. But if you went on the internet and you just downloaded a walkthrough of like Deathloop, it, it outlined what the perfect loop is. 
you could probably do it right away. Like if somebody gave me a write-up of what the perfect loop is in the morning, go to this location, do this and this in the afternoon, go here, in the evening, go here, blah, 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 and do all this. Well, then I could probably finish the game in half an hour. Who knows? You know? So that's the thing. It's as long as it takes you to figure out the loop, uh, and that could take you a long time. I think it's designed to take you quite some time. Or if somebody tells you everything, it could be really quick. So, I mean, that's that's the, 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 the thing there. I'm playing as honest as possible. Like, I want to figure out everything organically by myself. Well, there you go. All right, well, uh, we will certainly hear more uh, if you keep up your Deathloop adventures in the lovely podcast Dungeons & Diapers. So, look forward to that in the near future. But we had some other, you know, dungeons and diapers related content to discuss. And uh, Crofton, I wanted you to kick it off with, um, you know, whatever uh, Thursday Murder Club is. Uh, okay, so we're just doing that now. Do I need to pause a beat for you to put in the, the giant? You just give me a clap if you can. Just give. So after the clap, is it going to be gamers in stuff? <laughs> No, 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 no. I've already, I, I've, I've marked it. We'll, we'll. I don't know. Now I don't know. You've, you've kind of confused me. You confused me. I just don't even know. So the, so I've already old Crofton's already talked about all the video game stuff. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Sweet. Okay. Then I can go into uh, talking about other stuff. Uh, here's a clap. <laughs> I don't know if that helped. <laughs> it's not. I just want to make you clap. Okay, uh, so uh, so yeah, okay. So getting back to my what I was talking about about uh, earlier on about uh, injuring myself. One of the reasons I injured myself is because I'm not one for resolutions mostly. But this year, uh, 2023, I I said to myself, self, there's a, little, a couple of things you can do to make yourself a little maybe a little bit better, a little bit happier, like very small things. Don't don't kill yourself or whatever. But if you did a little bit more exercise, that'd probably be good. And if you if you read some more books, that would also be good. You play a lot of video games. Maybe you could get in a book. You're starting to act like Ryan Murphy. And and so I I was like I I'm like I can probably do those two things. So first off, I started with exercise and I started doing the Ring Fit workout with the I, I have Ring Fit and I started it and uh, it went pretty well. I actually enjoyed it. Did it. I was like, I can do this Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. That'll be perfect. Monday went very well. Hurt. I, you know, I was stiff, was sore. It's more intense than I remember. Wednesday, I did it. Uh, and then Thursday, I was dead. Um, so something happened to me during the Wednesday workout. And I think I, I think I was doing a yoga thing or whatever. I, I obviously pushed it more than I was comfortable. Um, and so lesson learned folks, but, uh, bottom line, I was, uh, pretty much sidelined for multiple days afterwards. Uh, so I need to get back into the exercise mode. I feel a little bit better today, but, uh, but that said, uh, I was still committed to doing it. The books though, they're going well. <laughs> so, um, so I, uh, I, I'm quite a big fan. And I know I've talked about this in the show before of the cozy, murder mystery subgenre that's becoming more and more popular like i mentioned the after party during the daddies again that's one uh, obviously only murders in the building is a big big one uh the knives out glass onion like all all of these like the mixture they mix character sort of 
jokiness with with uh you know a murder mystery that you're trying to solve and all of that very enjoyable so i figured i'm getting back into books what better place than to get into like a cozy sort of murder mystery and there's this book called um the thursday murder club and it's now a series and i'd heard it mentioned on a podcast before and I'd, I put it in the back of my mind being like, that's probably a good one. I, I even bought it for my wife some time ago and, and uh, as, a, as a gift because I thought it sounded like something she would like. And um, it's funny because she doesn't like to read paper books anymore. She reads like crazy amounts, but almost all on her phone or the e-reader. And, and the fact that it's a paper book has put her off considerably. She's like, well... I, I'd have to the lights on to read that book or whatever. I'm like, okay. So it's been, but now she wants to read it because I've read it and I've, I've said a lot of good things about it. So uh, the, the Thursday murder club, Ryan, have you ever heard about this series before? I'm not. No, this is the first time hearing of it. Uh, like here, mark your calendar, Ryan, because I'm guaranteed this will be turned into a movie or a TV show. Guaranteed. It's just like, it, it's too, of the moment and also like e you know easy to do and it make a ton of money. I was casting it in my mind like I was like oh yeah this Elizabeth could be Helen Mirren or whatever. Um, but uh, but essentially it it uh, it a murder mystery in an English uh, or in and around an English uh, retirement home retirement residence kind of a posh retirement residence and it's for like you know, senior citizens, 75 plus uh, citizens that are that are solving this mystery. And they get together every Thursday and they reserve a room. It's the, in between conversational French and uh, some other class. They book the room and they say it's for uh, uh, discussions of Chinese, uh, Japanese opera. But really what it is, is it's the Thursday Murder Club. And one of them was an old uh, police officer and she brings out cold case files and they try to solve these old mysteries. Uh, and uh, so that's, they're already, they're already a very interesting bunch, but then a real murder happens, like not a cold case, like one at the, uh, in and around the residence. And sure enough, they get right into it. And then of course there's a police inspector and a senior detective and the police inspector is like 26. So it really has that dynamic of Mabel from, from Only Murders in the Building, where she has to deal with these seniors that, that are pretty quick in solving the mystery. And uh, I'm guessing throughout, it's laugh out loud funny, but also has, uh, has, has like these very poignant moments of these characters wrestling with their own mortality because they're, they're older, they're getting older. And they think about things in different ways. And it's very interesting. So there is that element of it. It always goes down really easy. But like I found myself tearing up in certain bits as well. So it's just like it handles, it gives you so much um, stuff. And it went down really easy. So much emotion, so many different types of emotions. Went down really, really easy. So I would just say for somebody who is kind of like thinking about getting back into reading and wants like a book that would be like, what's a, it, it goes down kind of easy. Uh, but is 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 fun and compelling. I thought the Thursday Murder Club was great, and uh, there's two other books now in the series. Um, you know, I think it, I think it came out two years ago, and there's been one that has come out each year since. So uh, it's clearly like there's dated references in it. Like at one point, Joyce, one of the ladies, is trying to describe what Tinder is. 
Um, and, uh, and, and like, I'm sure at one point that's going to be like dated reference, but it's very much of the day and, and very entertaining. So I really liked it. And, uh, this might be, I don't think it's the first time I recommend a book on Dungeons and Diapers. I think I recommended the Jason Schreier books before um, yep. behind the yep. scenes, but, uh, this is the first fiction fictional book, hopefully not the last, if I can keep up. And 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 uh, read some more. Uh, I'm not trying to put a ton of pressure on myself. I just want to be able to say I read a few books this year, as opposed to one book. You know, so um, so yeah, that's uh, that's it. Huh. That's it. It's it's not a bad idea to. Uh, you're absolutely. I used to read. So when I was a kid, I used to read all the time, and um, the the reasoning behind, like I think, reading less comes down to there's just there's obviously more distraction now in terms of entertainment there's so much entertainment there's tv there's movies there's video games and i have limited time so i i obviously put a lot of it into video games and i'll, I'll own that for sure crofton jokes that i don't read books it's like he's right i don't um i haven't in a long time um and uh you know i'm, way I, I'm hard on you but i'm the same yeah I'm way behind on my Halo books. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, not that not that that's the first place I'd go, but um, you know, I um, I I've often thought, you know, I really should. You know, I I have a I have a friend who reads, you know, um, books all the time. Like loves to read, and he's always up on like the the latest like you know science fiction fantasy type but like you know what's the current lord of the rings s type experience that you can get like there's a lot that you can get from uh for, there's a lot of stories out there uh, you know from from books and i mean even this one like i've never heard anything never heard this one before and um you know i won't you know uh let the fact that steven spielberg's production company uh amblin entertainment has bought the the film rights and is probably going to be They've already got a, a a writer and a director attached to it, so like there will be an adaptation. Do they soon. really? Is yeah. that true? I'm reading. Well, I mean, you know, as true as Wikipedia can be with its with. Oh with man, its that makes it Steven Spielberg. That's amazing. Uh, I I just uh, well, he's I not going to do it. He's got someone called whatever. Old Oliver <laughs> Parker, you know, but it's his company. Um, uh, what what I had to say, uh, Ryan, though, is that like because I used to read tons of fantasy and sci-fi when I was in university and in high school and all of that and there is one thing i realized is um one of the things that stumped me with reading lately is i've I, i've jumped into either really dense fantasy because or, or sci-fi with with a tremendous amount of world building that will reward that eventually but, but provides a ton of a barrier of entry like you start you're like oh, okay i gotta learn what this is i gotta learn how this works, the politics of this world. It's a lot, right? Uh, just learning the characters and general setting of a book is, is challenging. It takes the first 50 pages for you to get really invested. And I would say for those fantasy sci-fi books, it's more like the first 100 pages. Um, and so for me, it, uh, what I liked about this book was that it partially was that it's very, you know, it was very easy to, to get into and i think i put also pressure on myself to read like fancy books you know oh if i'm not going to read many books then i need to read a book that's meaningful what's on the you know what what are the big meaningful books of this year and they're off often dense and hard to get into as well so if you eliminate fantasy and sci-fi and you eliminate the big dense meaningful books 
and you go to more like pot boilers and page turners, well, it becomes a lot easier to get into a book and then you can sort of reignite your interest from reading there. I think that's a better approach. At least that's the approach I'm taking. So I'm like, you know, all I need to know is about the setting is a little bit about this retirement home and the characters and what their main personality types are. And then, oh, I'm all on board for the mystery, you know? So it's uh, it's much easier. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing too, is like you mentioned your wife reads on her Kindle. Um, like I, I know personally for me, I'd probably need to go paperback slash physical in order to read it. Cause I have, I have both of <laughs> Jason Schreier. I'm sorry if you're listening. I have both of his books that I've purchased on my Apple books, iPad. I could read it on my iPad, my Mac, my iPhone, and it's all synced. I have not. Um, I should probably start there if I'm going to start reading again. Cause I've, I've purchased those books. Um, Jason, I guess I shouldn't apologize to him. He has my money. I mean, it's a different type. They're nonfiction. And I love those books and he does a really great job of them. But like every, the thing about his books is he's telling a story per chapter about a game. And then when it's over, you have to do all the investment work into the next chapter as well. You have to get to learn the characters and all of that. Whereas when you have a novel, you only have to make that investment at the beginning and then you're on board for the ride. You know, the first 50 pages are never super pleasurable because you're like, okay, who's this? What's going on? I don't understand. And then you're like, oh, now the hooks are in. Now now it's, it goes down really quick. It's from it's that moment where, where you're spending looking at the book being like, geez, there's still 200 more pages of this book. I'm like, how long is it going to take me to finish? And that time where you're like, oh shit, there's only a hundred pages left. Like where you change your mindset and you're like not wanting it to end as opposed to being like, being like, I got to get through this. Right. And it's funny how that transition happens. I'm trying to make it easier for myself by giving myself little, little victories. And I read this, not that this is a bad book. It's very much a good book, but but I read this this uh, article about how you should – who was it? It was Alan Moore, I think, who was saying you need to read bad books too. Uh, and uh, if you want to be a creator in any way, you need to like – if you only read good books, you'll be too – you'll be too like – you won't want to write or do anything yourself because you'll be too – in awe of all these great books. Whereas if you read bad books, you could, you could be like, well, I could do that. You know, it'll encourage you to do it more. So I'm trying to read all types of books a little bit as well. Although, again, I have the same issue as you, Ryan. Video games are my preferred poison. They take up a lot of time. Um, so I need to really balance and be like, okay, you know, maybe the last half an hour before I go to bed, I'll read a bit of a book. If I always have a book going, I can be like last half hour before I go to bed or something like that, you know? Yeah. No, it sounds great. I will... Um... Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to look into that. I think like for me, I, I mean, you mentioned the Ring Fit Adventure and I know um, a listener of ours, Whirlwind, is, is also playing. I need to uh, I need to dust that thing off and and get back to it because it it is no joke. I mean, like we all kind of laughed like, oh, we're going to sit here and play with this like weird, stretchy, you know, piece of plastic ring thing that, you know, uh, uh, like, how's that going to work? And it, you know, Nintendo makes it work. So it is no joke. Uh, it uh, and like Crofton, you had said, like, don't laugh at me. You know, when you told us in Discord, it's like, no, I'm not laughing. I played some of that game. It is. Um, it puts you through your paces, so it's no joke. Um, no, yeah. it's it's not. But it's honestly like, and I be, now I'm injured, and it's easy for the guy. I did three workouts before uh, two, and then it got injured. Um, I will I will say that uh, I felt that 
I could maintain this, that I was enjoying it for the noon hour lunch. Like I go down to my basement, I could, I had it all set up. Part of what was always, I'd always have excuses, right? Oh, I don't know where the ring is. I need the leg strap. I got to figure this out. But once I got it all set up, then it was like, okay, I can just, if I can just go down and just do it and have my stuff and and, and go and, and do it, then I will do it because uh, lunch is when I have the most energy. The kids are out at school. I'm working at my home office. I'm like, I can go and do it now. Um, it's just, you know, like they ask you in Ring Fit each time they're like, should it be, should we turn it down? Was that too much, too, too, too little, just right? And I should have said, turn it down. Like, like obviously it was kicking my ass as soon as I started it up. And I was like, oh no, I'm in the same level of shape that I was before. I was out of shape then. I'm out of shape now. Uh, I'm like, I'm going to keep it when I really should have bumped it down. Ryan is what I should have done. Yeah. Well, lesson learned. Live and learn. Lesson learned. <laughs> uh, you also went outside and uh, saw a movie. Yeah, so Ryan, I know that you go see movies all the time. Your Doctor Stranges and like whatever. You're that always was the going one to movie see. I saw last you're, year. You're, you're going to see movies. So uh, I have not seen a movie in movie theaters since uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Just to be clear, there is an entire other Spider-Man movie that has come out since Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, and I did not see that in theaters and I saw no movies in between Spider-Man far from home came out in 2019. I don't have a tremendously good reason as to why I did not go see any movies in 2019 before the pandemic after Spider-Man. I think it was just being a dad. I had a, you know, young kid in Clara at that time, but whatever, I have not been to a movie theater. Then the pandemic happened and then whatever, 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 did not go see a movie. My wife and I are trying to do better on date nights, particularly her. I have to give her a shout out. She's she's organized, got us a babysitter and all of that sort of stuff. So we went to see Avatar, The Way of Water. It was the first movie I saw in theaters. It's funny, you go back to theaters and it's like, pretty much what I remember. Like I get, I get to the theater. I'm like, it's like I was just here, but I wasn't, I wasn't just there. And it was funny because one of the trailers in front of Avatar, the way of water was for guardians of the galaxy three. And my daughter, Gwen, my oldest daughter, who's eight was born uh, in August of 20, whatever I should know this 2013. <laughs> Uh, the the year Guardians came out, we went to see Guardians when my wife was super pregnant, and and Gwen was like going crazy in her belly, and then was born like a week later. Uh, and I always will remember the first Guardians for that. Now the trailer for Guardians three is was there, and I'm like, oh, I'm back seeing movie. But it also feels like it was just the other day, right? And the and uh, you know, I saw the first Avatar in theaters. Sometimes it feels like it was just the other day. So it was really cool just getting out there for a date night they now have these huge recliner seats which i don't think i remembered like really fancy like go back and we're very comfy which was great uh and you know we smuggled in snacks all the stuff that you normally do and watch the movie and honestly avatar um i had no i wanted to see it because i felt like it was one of those movies that i needed to see on the big screen i was right it looks amazing. And when I was looking, like my memories of looking at it, I'm just like, holy shit, that was a crazy looking movie. Like it's just insane. But at the same time, uh, you know, it got a lot of, you know, not negative press, but like 
critics being like, well, the story is ho-hum. And I guess that's true, but I think my expectations for the story were so low that it ended up being like, and the visuals are so amazing that the three hours just flew by or whatever amount of time. I was like, I couldn't believe how entertained I was. It was just a really, really good time. I now understand why people were going to see the movie all the time. So I, I really uh, I really enjoyed it. It just uh, it just flew by. The last thing I will say, though, Ryan, is the date nights cost a shit ton. And I didn't really realize that. But like Avatar, like the babysitter costs like 15 bucks an hour. Uh, and so that's expensive. You go see a three-hour movie, that's expensive. Then the movie itself, just we got the a AVX, uh, um, what do you call it? ultra uh, avx 3d yeah what's the frame rate like uh high, high frame high, rate like would be yeah like that whole thing we got that whole thing and so it was like it ended up being close to like 25 bucks a ticket like it was like close to 50 bucks for the two tickets plus the 15 dollars an hour plus obviously we went out for supper before plus we had to pay for the kids supper now obviously we could have arranged that but we just ordered mcdonald's through uber eats and stuff i think though i think the whole evening was like 250 bucks um <sighs> and so like that's a pricey date that's that's a pricey date night but it kind of like almost and that's just to go see a movie uh but but we don't we don't necessarily do that that often so it was and we really we had a really good time like and it was fun to be able to talk about talk about it, it was old time my wife and i used to go see lots of movies and was a, it was nice to get back out there. And I do think that, like, yes, streaming is going to always take a huge bite, and we like having the option to stream the movies. But, I mean, as long as we keep making movies like Avatar, in which that I'd want to see in theaters, we're going to, like, when we have date night, going to see a movie in theaters is always going to be something we're going to consider, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, it has, uh, gosh, I can't remember the last time we had a date night. Um I mean, we've during the pandemic, we did a lot of like ordering in, which we normally didn't do. Uh, so we get the kids down and we'd have dinner like super late because we usually eat dinner with the kids at five. But um, our date nights would usually be like, let's rent a movie. Let's like do something out of the ordinary in terms of like what we're watching, but order food in and um, and have it that way. Uh, we don't really have like a I mean, I I hesitate to say we don't have like babysitters that we can depend on because like i think it goes down to like we just we don't we don't ask like i'm sure the neighbors would happily just you know sit and watch tv while the kids sleep you know because our kids go to bed fairly early like we can be out of the house at eight we could go to a movie you know even we could even push it and be like you know we'll leave right before the kids go to bed and like really you just set the kids into bed and and kind of they go to sleep eventually, you know, but uh, it, it has been a long time. And, and you know, uh, I don't know if Avatar, a three and a half hour movie, that wouldn't that wouldn't fly for for Ashley. She would she gets upset when I wait through the credits of a Marvel film. I couldn't imagine putting her through a three and a half hour Avatar film. Um, but uh, you should yeah. just go walk and see it like you do, like you did several times last year, like Doctor Strange and all those movies. You just you the should, one. Yeah, you, no, should, I, you, should, you should go and see Avatar the way of water. I, I would just say that, like, it, to people, you know, I know it's already made a ton of money. Most people have seen it. It was funny. Oh, Ryan, I should tell you this because you haven't seen it. But I was uh, I was walking out. Like, I have no bladder. Uh, so I had to run out to the bathroom, like, eight times. 
And uh, w- one of the times I was going out and there were these two teams, like they were walking by the theater and they were like, what's playing? One of them was like, what's playing in the AVX theater? And the other guy's like, it's Avatar. And, and, and then the, the first one's like, still? God, who hasn't seen that yet? And I, <laughs> I laughed and I wanted to turn around and be like, parents, you asshole. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it, it, it does it does make me laugh. The other thing about the story of Avatar, uh, Ryan is, is is very much about being parents and and there's so much parent stuff. Like it's a movie kind of for parents, so it, it is funny as a date night movie too. It's like it's all about you know pa- parenting unruly children to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, you should you should see it before it goes out of theaters because honestly, that movie's going to lose a lot not being seen uh, in in theaters. I know it's not Marvel, Ryan, but it's still kind of big budget. Well, I will take out a loan and I will set up a date night to go pay for a babysitter to watch the kids for four. Well, you said Ashley's not even going to like it. You should just go yourself, <laughs> like like you do on your walkabouts. I mean, it's winter. I don't really feel like walking an yeah, hour. That's, <laughs> um, but, that's you know, I think the next movie uh, I want to see would be would Ant-Man. Be Ant-Man. And I know I know, yeah. Ashley and I uh, really like the Ant-Man films, so maybe we'll make a, we'll make a date night. Make a date one. night, yeah. yeah. Do that. Do that for sure. Uh, but, yeah, uh, anyway, it was uh, just little things this year already. You know, January is the blah. So getting a date night in, injuring myself, doing exercise, reading a book. You know, I'm off to a good start. Very good. Well, you know what? Let's uh, continue that good start with some diapers content before we wrap up this awesome little episode. Uh, Crofton, I um, so for me uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's been it's been busy. Uh, I feel like you know January weekends have been you know during the week has just been kind of like trying to keep on top of work and and the kids at school and daycare and stuff, but weekends have been, there's always been something going on, whether it's a continuation of Christmas with birthday parties or, you know, what have you. Um, last episode I talked, I, I meant to talk about a birthday party that we had for um, uh, my niece, but just this past weekend we had Caden's birthday. He turned seven, which is just crazy to think about that. He's seven. Um, I remember when he was born and I was thinking about like what what it would be like when he when he turns this age and it's like now I'm living it and he's like reading and and Beyblading and just having a great time. Um, we went to Legoland as a family in Toronto. So there's a Legoland in Vaughan. It's kind of funny because like I was thinking about this mall and I'm like, it seems so familiar. And it turns out I had been to it before. Uh, we actually went there. It's the, it was the mall across from the hotel where we were all staying at, uh, when we went to, uh, Jocelyn and Matt's wedding. Um, so that was kind of neat. And I remember seeing the store and I was like, that's a really, really weirdly set up Lego store. Um, and then I realized like it was Legoland in there. You just enter a door and, and there's Legoland. Um, so we went to Legoland as a family. Obviously the kids freaking loved it. Uh, the way it's set up is like you pay to enter. And I, I think this is the best way, especially for parents to set up, um, sort of one of these like theme park areas is that you pay at the gate, you walk in and the extras are just food and whether you want to buy a souvenir. And of course it's either Lego or, or a photo of that they took of you on 
the shitty ride that they 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 ask if you want to skip or not um so like this legoland it's fairly small like you walk in like there's a couple of activities and i wasn't really sure what to expect and then there's this like you know those like weird on track sort of shoot 'em up arcade games sometimes you see like in in you know i think they have them in niagara falls where you kind of sit in the in the really slow cart mm. and you're just shooting at things as you walk as you go through um it's it's an optional ride, but they don't you know they don't charge you to do these you know. What are extra you shooting activities. at in Lego? It's uh well that so here's the thing it's really weird. So I think it was pirate themed, but then as you went through it, it was more like medieval knight themed, and it's like a um it's like a it's like a light gun game. So where you're shooting, you can see a laser, and then like it kind of like tracks where you're shooting and and you're right like why would you be shooting in lego and i, I think it's just an excuse to have a like a shooting experience <laughs> i don't know well i i do i do imagine that like you know in terms of you know bricks exploding everywhere that would be kind of interesting but like yeah uh, it was but- it was okay the effects weren't that great and and as i'm going through this ride so um <laughs> my my uh my side of the family also joined us so my brothers and my and my mom and dad. So as we're going through this thing like the kids are loving it and you got the grandparents there and and we're we're going to go on this ride and like me and my dad are are near the back of the line. And so all the kids get to go in and they're all partnered up with, you know, Ashley and my brothers and my and my mom and I'm like so it's just like all right dad I guess we're going in this ride that's clearly for kids, but uh, here we go, a uh, 30-year-old and a and a 60-year-old. Let's 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 shoot some medieval Legoland things, and uh, it was it was okay. But I think where it really shined in terms of like they're not nickeling and diming you for activities is when you get into like the open Legoland area, and there was like um, a 4D movie experience that that operated like every 20 minutes, and there was four different movies. And um, they didn't charge you for it. You just you could just walk, go into the line. You could see it as many times as you want. Um, they had like a whole, you know, like those play places that you kind of had at like McDonald's and stuff. They had like a, a segment of that, like both for kids uh, Izzy's age, but also older kids for like Caden and Abigail. So they love that. And um, there was also like this carnival ride in the corner that you again, you could just keep going on. And uh it was nice because they get like obviously they charge you know it's like five bucks for a water and and you know a meal is gonna like is gonna be like thirty dollars for like some crappy warmed up pizza, but um it was really nice that the activities which the kids want to do constantly aren't like all right how many how many tickets does it cost like here's twenty bucks go buy like however many tickets that turns into and you can go see this movie two point five times. And, uh, but no, it was not, it was, it was all, it was all sort of open range and you could kind of just do whatever you wanted. So we just kind of like, you know, parked ourselves at the exit and followed the kids around and they kind of just got to do their own thing for like three hours. It was exhausting, but the kids freaking loved it. Like how much did you have to watch them? Not really, not really much. I mean, honestly, like, uh, for the most part, it was just a matter of like, cause you know, once they went into like the play section area like the sort of like the play structure area you you could lose them and you could lose them in there so it's just a matter of like okay Caden and abby are going into the the play structure i'll just wait at the entrance until they're ready to come out you know and and uh you you wouldn't really lose them like there's one exit so they're either in the play structure they're waiting in line for the carnival 
the carnival ride or they're going to the going to the 4D movie experience. And really in terms of watching, I just had to make sure Isabel wasn't like breaking people's creations in the the sort of the play area where you could kind of you could kind of build stuff, but they had like um they also had like you could build your own car and like put it down ramps and stuff and like test how fast it would go. And they had like obviously like the life-size Lego creations, so they had like a they built like this Lego car that you could sit in, so like Izzy does this thing where she like makes a <laughs> makes a cell phone out of like Duplo Lego and then she like grabbed a bunch of bricks, like these big foam bricks that you could build with. And she's like, I'm and she and she'd take them into the car and she'd be like talking on her cell phone. And she'd be like, my baby, my baby. And she's got the baby beside her. These like giant foam bricks in the car. And she's just she spent like an hour in there just like hanging out with her baby and her cell phone going for a drive so like the, it was nice because we and we had enough adults there where i could i could safely say like you know even though there are three k- kids running around i know someone's watching one of them or at least has an idea of of where they are and um and i know. said to them i'll be in the corner with my steam deck <laughs> yeah. if my kids do anything wrong go get ashley yeah yeah no i i did i did not dare bring my my steam deck i i just sort of I, you know, I, I enjoyed it too. Like, here's the thing. The 4D movies were really cool. We, um, I got to see like two or three of them and the way it works is like, it's not like the seats are moving, but like it's 3D. So you have these like glasses that you, you, you know, like a 3D movie, you turn them in at the end they were, they wash them and you, you get clean ones. Um, so it's 3D, but also like it has, um, it has, uh, obviously the 3D sound, but also has the fans at play and lighting and also like misting so um and and foam as well like soap foam or something i if you sit in the middle you can get you can get foamed um but i i I don't know how i feel about that yeah i i I didn't sit in the middle let's just leave it at that but like it was really cool so for example like there was a scene um i think it was like they had a lego movie one which was hilarious because the lego movie you're expecting to hear all these voices and, and they get some of the voices but like Captain Business or whatever his name is is not Will Ferrell. It's Patton Oswald, and um, oh. obviously it's not Chris Pratt. They got a Chris Pratt sound alike, but they make they make a joke about it. They're like, uh, oh, like I saved so much money by having this different voice. It's so crazy. Like the characters are actually making this sound, and um, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of neat. Like there'd be a water scene where like there there's a splash or something, and then you you'd get the spritz you know, of this water, like, and, and the kids would just like lose their minds and, and the, the audience was always full and it was just a lot of fun. And, uh, it was tempting to buy some Lego at the end of it as it usually is, but obviously it was all Lego's expensive, but then this was like marked up Lego, but there was one cool set. It was like a $15 set and it was like a Wolverine set. And I was like, actually, that's a decent price. I could probably buy that, but I didn't. It would be cool to have a, a you know, a, a Wolverine figurine or whatever. But um, as Ashley would remind me, just sit on your shelf and collect dust. And it's like, yeah, but I would play with it when I podcast. So did you, so. Did you buy anything? Uh, no, actually, <laughs> because so because there's a mall, I told the kids like, oh, we don't have a Toys R Us where we live. We'll go to Toys R Us after. And uh, we ended up spending like an hour in there. That was a mistake. So we bought more Beyblades, um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is about Beyblades is, and and going to a, st- a toy store that's fully stocked. Like I always say, like nowadays 
you can go to Walmart, you can go to EB Games or whatever, or Masterminds and find like a good selection of toys. But the difference is when going to a Toys R Us is that they have the same selection, but more of it. So we're looking at the Beyblades and Caden's obviously drawn right to like, they have these like pro series and they're like all, they're all metal die cast Beyblades and they're like 45 bucks. And he's like, oh, I kind of want this starter pack. And it's like three of them. And I'm like, it's like, that's probably the most expensive one. And I said, well, here, like if this one, you take it to the till, we see how much it is. Cause obviously price checkers never work. You got to take it to the till. I looked and I couldn't find one. So we take it to the till and the lady's like, yeah, this is uh $45. And it was just like a single Beyblade with a ripper. And I said to Kate, like, that's way too expensive, especially when there's ones that were there for like $13 and you can just add to your, add to your collection. So we ended up having to go back and, and, um, get get a Beyblade for each uh for Caden and Abby because because that's what they they wanted to get and we we did promise them that we could look at I didn't realize we were going in to buy Beyblades but we did promise they could look at them and and they were different from the ones we could buy in town so I said okay we can get one the cheap one not paying 45 dollars for an all-metal Beyblade so you can brag that you win every single match against the plastic ones (laughs) So uh yeah they uh and Caden for his birthday got like some more Beyblade stuff he got a new stadium and and stuff and uh I think this weekend we're doing some um some play dates with with some kids from their classrooms we're going to go to the the play place which is the which is actually what it's called here in town and we're going to go there meet meet their friends there and have a a good solid fun hour uh to hang out and just uh celebrate Ryan, you know we're not real celebrities when you're able to announce where you're going with your children on the weekend on your podcast. I didn't say the hour, although maybe people, if we were celebrities, they'd probably camp out, right? Yeah, they would camp out all day to meet the Ryan Murphy, you know? They'd be like, okay, the play place? I'm going to check that out, you know? Uh, But uh, you're like, you're just throwing it out there. You're like, I don't care. If there's gamers is in fans to you know zombies ate my neighbors fans whatever I'll I'll be there to sign sign autographs I'll I'll sign whatever you want. True. Well, it's actually not called the play place, so I kind of throw them off the scent there a little bit. So. Oh, you lied about the name, you devil. Yeah. So yeah, it's been it's been a busy couple weekends, and uh, as I said, we're we're still going. Really creative lie though. What's the name of the What's the name of the place that I'm gonna go with the kids to uh, play? I can't tell them the real name. Uh, <laughs> the The place of uh, the play place. Yeah. The play place. That's a real name and not something I just invented. And that's the thing. When I was growing up, it like the McDonald's sections that they had like the playground in the McDonald's. Like they were called the play place. So that's the only reason I keep saying it that way. <laughs> that's true. Because that's what they were called. They were called the play yeah. place. So I hear it. I hear it. I respect it. Uh, I, I don't even know what I'm doing this weekend. I'll have to think about that. Oh, I think it's the Royal Rumble, Ryan. Oh, yeah. Is it like uh, some wrestling thing happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some wrestling thing. Oh, are you going to slap you. pay-per-view it or do you have I think, to stream I, it? No. I, now it's really annoying because they have this thing called the – the WWE network and it's not the same in America as it is in Canada and Canada is really annoying. So I, I think it's a little better to use this year, but last year it was like you had to have cable and you had to subscribe to a channel on cable 
to be able to watch the paper. You can just buy the pay-per-view. You had to buy at least a month's subscription of a cable channel. It was really annoying. Whereas this year, I think they figured it out. Anyway, I hope so. Uh, so my brother is going to come over on the weekend. I think we're going to we're going to watch the Royal Rumble. There you go. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not a big wrestling uh, person. I don't. I really wouldn't know where to start. But um, it sounds like you guys have a a fun weekend plan. Any other diapers that you wanna you wanna take a look at? Uh, just the only thing I'd say is that Gwen's obsession with Marvel Snap that I think I teased in a past episode is now escalated. She's like constantly trying to get her mom's phone. She wants to build. I have a bunch of cards. She wants to build decks. Uh, she wants me to get certain cards so she can build them into decks. She had a big conversation with Bo when he was here to play a board game about like best decks to do for Marvel Snap. She's like really, uh, really good at it, honestly, uh, and really deep into it. What is constantly funny to me, and I think I mentioned this before, was that this is her first exposure to these characters. Like it's like every character, and she's gonna know all of them from Doctor. Sh like Doctor Strange will be that guy from Marvel Snap that can teleport her cards. You know, like that. That's her first exposure to almost every superhero is happening in Marvel Snap. So it is very funny um, to me that like you know we've talked about it before how like. You can be exposed to Darth Vader in the, the first Star Wars movie or in like some comic book or in some video game or whatever. Like there's so many tangential ways to get exposed to these characters. It's just funny because Marvel Snap is all the Marvel characters. So Gwen has this detailed knowledge of at least like, you know, the card functionality of like all these ridiculous characters, you know? And so uh, it is, it is, uh, Funny, the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Christmas special was playing on a screen in a store or something, and Cosmo the dog was on it. I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know all the details. But and she was like, "That's Cosmo. He can block on reveal cards." I'm like, "Yes, he certainly can." Yeah, I've, I I, I kind of haven't uh, gone back to Marvel Snap. I played a bunch of it at launch when it first launched. Oh, I play it. All the time. Like, it's my go-to mobile game. And I didn't think it would last for me, but uh, I think it's a combination of my daughter loving it so much. And I was chasing Spider-Man. Uh, and I finally got him. I had to buy him in the store with not real money, but I had saved up these tokens and he was the card of the day. I managed to get him. And uh, he's actually really good. And I built a deck around him and uh, I'm really into it right now. But once... You know, that subsides. I was like, you get bored of a deck if you don't build a new one. You know, if you're not chasing a card. Like, I was chasing a card. So, there was like, oh, what, am I going to get Spider-Man? Uh, now I'm chasing Spider-Man variants. I'm like, oh, I could get a Spider-Man variant. That would be good. But but I enjoy I enjoy playing it generally. So, uh, until I don't enjoy it, it it's really bite-sized and fits in well. I, I'm a big fan of the Marvel Snap, as is Gwen. And, oh, Later this month, supposedly, they're going to finally have PvP, like, friends mode, where Gwen will be able to play me and I'll be able to play her. So we're looking forward to that big time. I did hear about that, yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah, we'll see how many arguments that causes. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, winning and playing against your kids, like, Caden hates win losing. Yeah, he's also a sore, lose sore winner, too, so... Sometimes you, sometimes you gotta, you gotta win and you gotta lose some. So 
Hopefully, hopefully that goes well. Doesn't create any arguments there. I will uh, let yeah. you know. I can't wait to hear. And uh, yeah, I guess you're doing the day camp thing, right? For summer, is that also? Oh, uh, oh, 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 yeah. I, just it's, I know I I know I talked about this in a previous year of Dungeons and Divers, but day camps are friggin' expensive. We just have to say it's like January, and you've got to be on them. And uh, but this is the first year we're paying double kids. Right, because uh, Clara's now at school, which is great for daycare most of the year, but uh, is horrible for day camp. And yeah, it's just so expensive. And we haven't even managed to get all the weeks for Clara that we wanted to get. Um, we're going to have to find two weeks. We still got to fill up. I was up at midnight registering day camp, and by twelve fifteen, it was full for her age bracket and i i could like it was like buying friggin' concert tickets anyway um yeah it's just a struggle like it's just something that i feel is not well thought out in our society like your kids need to be to go somewhere during the summer when school is closed but yet you are expected to still work you have a summer vacation but it is not as long as their vacation so yeah. what do you do with your children well you can, you know, there's some options like sending them to some sort of daycare, but for older kids, that doesn't really work. You've got to send them to these day camps, which are fun, which is great, but cost money, which is not as great. And especially like I'm well off, like I can afford to send my kid to the day camps, but I'm sure a lot of people would not be in a position to do so, you know, and I could see like, especially for older kids where they would just be told to like, hey, just watch TV all summer or something, you know? which kind of bums me out. Yeah. I, I mean, we talked about it before. Um, uh, just the fact that I grew up, my mom was a teacher. So we always had a parent home in the summer. We still did a lot of stuff. Like we didn't do, I think we did like one week of day camp, like one week of overnight camp or something. Like, uh, it was, there would be one week where we, we were gone. Um, but yeah, we, I don't know what our plans are for the summer. Like that's probably something we need to get on, but uh, I think we did a bunch of pre-bookings. So here in here, we were able to do, um, we were able to prepay early. Like we even paid, I think we paid for a couple weeks of day camp in the summer of last year for this year to kind of get like first dibs on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. Like, and I think, you know, Ashley and I end up like, divvying up our holidays and then like, Oh, right. But we also need to take an extra. I think that was the big thing. I it was the first time I ever used all my vacation time because I was like, you know, needed three weeks to be home with the kids, but then remember like, Oh, we also need time so that we can take a vacation, uh, you know, away from the house. So it's, it's tough. And like, it's weird to be thinking about it in January, but you're right. You got to, because it, it, it all sells out so quickly. And, uh, and it is rather expensive, especially the longer you wait when all like the the decently priced ones are gone and all that's left is like the super duper expensive ones. Really nice day cams, but still like pricey, pricey stuff. So, yeah, I know. I'm like my kids will have had a good couple of great day camp experiences. But like I, you know, I'm looking to take all of August off again this year. And it's challenging a to have the leave to do that. But also, you know, like, you know, to justify to your boss you sort of have to be like look i i need to somebody's going to take care of the kids and uh and uh it, i also came from a family like yours like my my mom was home and my dad worked and that's how it was now it's not like that anymore we both work right so it is tricky ryan yeah 
Well, uh, what's also tricky is ending the show because we enjoyed ending it so the much. Show. Just ending it for this this episode, not forever. Oh. Just this episode. We're ten episodes away from a hundred. I heard that at the top. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you're right. Uh, in in ten times two twenty weeks, we will be at episode one hundred if we stick to this biweekly schedule. You never know; stuff slips. But this year, I feel fairly confident that we will be celebrating a hundred episodes of Dungeons and Diapers. And you can listen to the entire archive at tgistudios.com slash dad. Crofton knows that's our website now. Uh, you can also email the show, dad at tgistudios.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me at R. Murphy, Crofton at Crofton Steers, and the show at dndcast. Uh, I don't know, Crofton, are you going to be jumping over to Mastodon now that Twitter's having a rough go, or what's your plan? No, I mean, I feel like we're out of the... It was having a rough go a month or two months ago where I thought it was done, but now it feels like it's back to being its old shitty self. So I'll probably, I'll probably stay on Twitter. Hey, I just thought of something. Ryan just did all the coordinates. If you, if somebody has a great idea for what to do for a hundred episodes of Dungeons and Diapers, they should send us a message. Give us a suggestion. Yes. How should we celebrate? Let us know. Do we start a Mastodon uh, account for the podcast? Probably not. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, uh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, then don't submit that idea. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Um, but that is going to do it for this episode of Dungeons and Diapers. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great couple weeks, and we'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it.